Hashtag SFM Talking Point. I, I remember, I've always been growing up quite independent. Um, but I remember when I left my mom's home, my parents' house, to go to the world, I guess, to start university, it was an easy step for me to make because um, I'd, I'd always been independent. But because it was my mom and myself only for a long time, it wasn't as easy a step for my mom to make. And then similarly, when my little sister left the house, I realized it was difficult for both of them, actually. Um, the separation anxiety can be real. The fear of the unknown can be real. And especially because I'm, I'm, we're, we're from Johannesburg. We've lived here all our lives. My sister went to uh, university in Cape Town. Uh, the fear of the unknown was exacerbated by that distance, right? Especially because we have such little family in Cape Town and they're not easily accessible to the institution my little sister's in. Um, and, and we try to make do with what we could as far as uh, friends or family is concerned to, to just build a community of protection around um, uh, my little sister in case of emergencies and all of that sort of things. And you call on friends uh, to assist in these sorts of things, right? Um, but the fear of the unknown can be crippling. It can be tough to have that conversation. And once you're away, the separation anxiety can also be, um, you know, damaging and hindering in in pursuit of your job, in pursuit of your academics or whatever the pursuit may be that took you away from home. Kids are leaving. A lot of young people now have matriculated. Many of them are going to go to universities. Many of them are going to go to colleges and technicons. Many of them may be entering the job market. Hopefully, many of them will be entering the job market if they are not in an institution of further education. And that can change the dynamics of the parental relationship and can change the dynamics of the family and the household. How do you, uh, how do you anticipate it? How do you plan for it? And how do you mentally uh, you know, strengthen yourself? And how do you have that conversation? Paula Quincy, who's a relationship coach, is back with us. Paula, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Oliver. Morning to you and the listeners. How do you have that conversation about change before we get to the specificities of it, just change in general? I think the first thing is that, you know, to, to not create too much expectation or put too much pressure um, on the, you know, the young graduates or matriculants. Um, a lot of them are potentially feeling lost and not sure where they're going. So I think most important is to sit down and ask them, you know, where are they at? What is going on for them? What are they particularly experiencing? And how do they need you to be there for them? Yeah. Um, and the language to describe your fears can often be inaccessible, right? You may you may feel what you're feeling, but you may not know how to describe it, and that's a very big bridge to gap. Uh, how do you gap to bridge? My apologies. How do you how do you go about that? Yeah, you know, I would say you know this is where patience is involved. You know, they may need time to process and think about it, so it may take more than one conversation to have it. Um, also, you know, uh, if if it's easier, get them to write it down or mm. WhatsApp it or voice note it. You know, that's how many of the young people communicate these days is through voice notes and, and WhatsApps and stuff like that. Um, otherwise, you know, explain as a, as a parent some of your own fears that you went through, some of your own challenges and struggles. And what this does is it, it shows that you're human. It shows that, you know, you're willing to own up to, to mistakes or choices or decisions that you made and, and what that did and how it made you feel and the consequences of. And when you come from a place of vulnerability, it creates safety, which allows the young person to also be vulnerable with you as well. Mm, mm, mm. And dealing with the, the fear of the unknown, the fear of 
something could, could go wrong. You're far away from home. Uh, I, you know, uh, you're not attached to me by umbilical cord, so I can't help you when, when these things happen in a way that I, you know, ordinarily would as a parent. Uh, dealing with that can be can be difficult. Absolutely. It can be stressful for both parents who naturally have their child's best interests at heart and, and you know, just want to be keep their children safe. So sometimes they can come across as what is perceived as being overprotective and overbearing. And I think, you know, it's okay to not have all the answers and it's okay to not know everything. You know, that change is a constant. So there is going to be unknown elements where you won't know everything. But I think most important is sitting down and discussing how you would handle emergencies, for example, if, if something happens, um, you know, who's the person that you call, how do you know, you know, do they have all the basics in place, such as contact numbers, um, medical aid cards, insurance, those kind of things, and have you educated them on how to manage those kinds of situations? Because up until now, as a parent, you've probably been doing it, and this is where you can really empower your children with key life skills by educating them on certain situations and how they would potentially handle it if they are in a crisis or need help. Yeah. Uh, distance can, can put a strain on a relationship. Um, when you you know are used to seeing your child or seeing your parent every day and having a conversation every day, you know, that dinner conversation, how was your day, that checking in moment uh, becomes a part of your uh, of what works for you in a day and now suddenly there's distance and uh, you may not be able to have that conversation every day and you may go two, three days, a few days without having a proper check-in with either your parent or your child, whatever the case may be. It it, it can create a sense of, of uh, feeling lonely, feeling um, isolated. Um, that's, that's, that's a, and, and, and I think, I'm, I'm speculating here, right? That can have a ripple effect on, uh, the relationship, it can put a strain on the relationship. What are the tools to deal with that? Absolutely. Chronic loneliness um, can affect our mental health. So from a, from a young person's perspective, you know, being away from their support tra- structure, their safety, their, 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 you know, the place of familiarity can have an impact on them from a mental health point of view. And this is where it's encouraging them to, you know, reach out when they're feeling lonely um, or when they just want to connect and chat. At the same time, it's also giving them the space and the freedom to step into their independence and, and figure things out for themselves. So if they don't contact you for two or three days, that doesn't necessarily mean that something is wrong. And eventually over time, this relationship will settle into a, a routine of when is the best time to chat. And you can also have that as one of your conversations. You know, do we chat on a Sunday night and we check in how your week was or how your week is going to be? You know, what are some of the things that you're working on? But also, you know, just reaching out and leaving messages and saying, hey, I'm thinking of you today, wondering how, you know, your day is going or your studies or your exams or whatever it is that they are, are dealing with. Um, but they just know that you're always there. You know, always in the at, a, at an arm's length, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And and how do you how do you then communicate in instances where you have the not the fear, but the feeling that ah, oh, what I'm going through, my mom may not understand, my dad may not understand, my grandmother, my uncle may not understand, and therefore you don't share the minutiae of those difficulties that you're going through at that particular moment. You, uh, you know, it's like I can communicate to you how I'm feeling and what I'm going through, but I don't think you'll understand it. So I'll rather not. I'll form my own little community with people who are going through the same thing as me at the same time. And hopefully we'll find, uh, you know, solace in each other's um, common ground. Uh, 
that that does that create i can imagine that too can add to the feeling of distance Definitely, you know, and I think the main thing for parents is that they they would want to know who you're hanging around with, so to speak, and, you know, what kind of people are you associating with and, you know, just and not from a checking up perspective, but more just they want to know what's going on in your life and they want to know the people that you're hanging around with and, you know, who your support structure is. So definitely forming forming friendships with people that are going through the same thing can definitely help you from a mental health point of view. But at the same time, most institutions have a student council body or representative of some sort um, or counseling services on site or that you can access. And you can also tap into those to speak to someone if you feel that your parents aren't um, going to understand what you're going through. Or perhaps it's even finding a teacher or a lecturer or someone mm, at the, mm. the place where you're at that can help you as well. Mm. As a parent, how do you prevent yourself from feeling like you may have failed your child if they go out into the, the world to make mistakes, make bad decisions? How do you how do you how do you stop yourself from seeing that as a reflection on your parenting? I think that's quite hard for a lot of parents because all parents want the best for their children. But at the same time, you know, if you reflect back onto your childhood growing up, part of the process is making mistakes. It's how you deal with those mistakes in terms of is it punishment and, 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 and making them feel bad for making decisions and choices or do you use it in a positive, constructive way as a learning environment going forward and helping them to make better decisions going forward by giving them key life skills such as weighing up the pros and cons, knowing their values and their boundaries and what they stand for and that it's okay if they become unpopular because they make a decision that aligns with who they are and not following the crowd, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Give us a call, 86 if you want to share your story, your fears, your anxiety about change happening in your family structure. Maybe your young one's leaving the house. Uh, maybe you are the young one that's leaving the house and you have your own sets of fears and anxieties and questions and uh, expectations and excitements. That too. This can be also be an exciting moment. Give us that call, 86 I'm taking a voice note on 614 107. Oliver Dixon on SAFM. You're listening to The Talking Point. Thank you so much for staying with us. If you just join us, welcome to the program. Really appreciate it. In conversation with Paula Quincy, a relationship coach, and we're talking about how to prepare your child for the next big step. Perhaps they're leaving the house, getting ready for university, uh, getting ready for college, or perhaps even getting ready for the job market, starting a life of their own. How do you deal with that? Uh, from a relationship perspective, that's what we're talking about. You can be a part of the conversation. Give us a call, 86 2032 And you can also send us a WhatsApp voice note on 614 Paula, how, oftentimes, you know, when, when such change happens, when, when, when your young one leaves the house and you have these fears and anxieties about their survival in the world and their safety in the world, you may overcompensate for that distance, um, both geographic distance, but also distance not being in the house, um, and that reduced um, quantum of communication. You may overcompensate for it by trying to hold their hand in every big step and every big decision. Um, how do you, how as a parent, how do you mentally prepare yourself to let go and allow your child to make mistakes, allow them to mess up their allowance budgets, and allow them to miss class and allow them to go to parties and stay out late and uh, fail an exam and learn from that hopefully and and but not to get too lost how do you create that space for that to happen without 
uh, without the moral judgment and indignation that may ordinarily have come with it. Um, I'm assuming it's not an easy exercise as a parent mentally preparing yourself for that. Most definitely not, because here you've had this, this young person from day one who's been dependent on you in so many different ways. And now all of a sudden you could be potentially feeling very lost without them in your life physically, but also the bond and the connection with them. And I think this is where couples need to turn towards each other and agree on how they are going to handle situations and when they feel they would want to step in and, and assist and aid or and when to step back and allow the child to, you know, create their own life experiences and and at what depth does that, you know, come with for them. And so, you know, as I said, the most important thing that you can teach your kid is life skills, which they don't get taught in school, they don't get taught in university or in the workplace. It comes with experience. So basic skills like how to manage a budget. Um, you know, are they grounded in who they are and their own values and that? Um, do they, uh, as long as you provide a safe, nurturing environment where they know that they can come to you at any time and talk to you about anything, and it's not about judging, it's not about right or wrong, it's about guiding and allowing them to grow and develop into the young individuals that you as a parent often uh, visualize that they are going to grow into. The thing is, if you do overcompensate, what ends up happening is you actually take those choices and decisions away and you hamper those life skills from your child and it's going to play out in their adult life later on where they are unable to potentially make decisions for themselves or handle crises and situations, um, which can cause lots of other issues such as anxiety, um, stress, uh, depression, etc. And then preparing yourself for the worst. Let's say the worst does actually happen, right? Um, Your child falls victim to crime. Um, you know, and universities are not particularly safe spaces in South Africa in the last couple of years. In fact, for many, many years have not been. And, and, and you know, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been exposed a lot more and people talk about it a lot more. But assuming the worst does potentially happen, you know, especially if you have a girl child, it could be a particularly vulnerable time and space. Um, and the worst does happen. How, how do you then deal with that? Look, no parent wants to experience anything like that. But unfortunately, as you say, we do live in South Africa. And that's why it's so important to understand who your children are hanging around with in terms of their circle of friends, to get to know them as well as their parents and exchange contact numbers that, you know, um, you can be in touch with each other and kind of know what's going on and and form your own support group as parents because you're all going through a similar thing. I think also being very aware with the organization or institution your child is going to and what steps and measures do they have in place from safety and security perspective. And then obviously educating your child on the realities of situations and and how they can keep themselves safe. So, you know, never going anywhere on your own, always going with at least one other person or a group of you together. Always tell somebody where you're going. Um, You know, have, have your phone tracker on that if somebody needs to trace and track your phone, they can do that. And always have emergency contact details um, close at hand or on speed dial that you can get hold of somebody in case of an emergency. Yeah. Give us a call. 086-000-2032 if you want to share a question uh, or want to share your story and and maybe um, get Paula to, in your specific instance, um, talk to you about the tools that you may be able to make use of in there. Uh, Building community. 
how important is that and how do you go about doing that and getting your and both of you your child and your the parents to trust in that community especially if it's people you haven't known for very long community community is so important because as i said it, it provides a support structure but it's also the people we turn to 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 celebrate things and and experience and and be social with but it's also the people that we turn to when we're going through tough times and so the easiest way to start building a community for yourself is if you already have people from your existing school going to the institution that you're going to there's already a common ground and familiarity there Alternatively, through the interests in terms of either the subjects and topics that you're studying or the extramural activities and sports and that that you're getting involved in, you know, you already have something that's, that's in common and that's a good ground to start building a community with. Um, as, as the young people going to those places. And then from parents, as I said, you know, creating your own support structure um, by getting to know the children, friendship circles, um, you have enough in common with your children being at the same place, you're both as parents, you're all going through the same thing, and, and to build your community through that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, Growth is, is, is not a, it's not an easy thing, right? As we grow up, we personalities change, worldviews change, um, and you, you may adopt new, uh, you know, life patterns, life ideologies, and all of that sorts of stuff. I'll, I'll tell you what was a big strain between my mom and I when I left, um, when I left for home. I certainly wasn't as active in the church anymore. And mm. I got to a point where <laughs> um, I started questioning, for instance, religion altogether and i was like mm, maybe not maybe i don't believe in god maybe i don't want to go to church and then i you know and then you, you you the blinkers come off and you start criticizing and finding fault with a lot as is the case with when you grow up um if you you get new information you with that new information your worldview changes and you see things differently and that may make a parent feel like i don't know who my child is anymore with these changes happening um you know, that, that I can't imagine being anywhere near easy for a parent to process. No, most definitely not. And that's, you know, key thing for parents to remember is they're not your young baby anymore. They're stepping into adulthood. And part of that growth process is trying to re-identify who they are because they've now transitioned from school into the next level and becoming young adults and becoming independent. So they are going to experiment. They are going to explore. They are going to try things. They are going to push the boundaries. It comes with the territory. And I think the easiest or the best thing that a parent can do is try and keep in touch as your child is exploring in terms of what their latest interests are, what they're involved with, what they're doing, and actively participate, you know, by taking a vested interest, having discussions with them around that, you know, whether it's what, what music are they listening to now, what um, places are they going to, what do they enjoy about it, uh, what don't they like about it, and really trying to get to be a part of their growth process instead of hampering the growth process by, you know, coming across in a criticizing or judging way that, you know, you're not the child that you used to be, because they aren't. They've, they've grown. They've yeah. changed. Just like you as a parent, you are not the same person you were a year ago either. Yeah. Let's have a listen at this WhatsApp voice note. Good morning, good morning, Oliver. Oliver, as somebody who grew up in Atrishville, Mishongo Village, you know, the anxiety when you grow up, the environment is just like it is giving you hippie jibbies every time. <laughs> For a rich person, it's not normal. 
but for me it's just normal kids when they go to school they mingle with different kind of characters it is normal and for rich people when their kids leave the house when they leave the nest they are worried because already the society out there is dangerous but our kids they live in a dangerous society like right now my kids are in Shoshanguve it's just dangerous mm, mm, yeah do you want to reflect on that voice note yeah, I think, you know, the, the environment definitely contributes to the skills that you develop from a survival point of view. In other words, resilient, being able to handle life stresses uh, more effectively um, and being able to cope with, with what is perceived as dangerous environments versus safe environments. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really largely ingrained by the environment that you've been exposed to, which is either familiar to you or unfamiliar to you. And any parent is going to be worried about their safety of your of their child. So it's around, um, you know, equipping your child with as much knowledge as possible that that they can make a decision for themselves when they feel that they are in a situation that doesn't feel comfortable for them. And what are they going to choose to do in that situation? How are they going to choose to either remove themselves from it? or stay in that environment, but handle themselves within that environment. Mm. And then come the holiday breaks and your child gets to come home and you experience them slightly differently from the last time you saw them, which may be a few months ago, uh, and they're only around for the next week or two. That, that window of opportunity, how do you, how do you optimally use that, uh, Paula, as an opportunity to uh, deeply check in to rebuild the relationship or how do you make use of that limited time that you may have with your child or your parent? Yeah. Most times when kids come home for the holidays, all they want to do is just veg. <laughs> yeah. I know par parents have a big issue with that because it's all you do is sleep all day long kind of thing or we never see you. And, um, you know, I think it's around, it takes a process to settle down over time. You know, the more and more holidays you get to experience together. So I think it's also making time quality time, it doesn't matter how small it is, to spend one-on-one -on -one time with your child as individual parents, but then also collectively as a family, just to remind your, your child that, you know, they're part of a unit, they're part of a support structure, and you're still a family, doesn't matter how far away you are, but also individually because each parent has a different kind of relationship with their child and they play a different role in their child's life from a guidance and an input and a perspective. So it's important to spend individual one-on-one -on -one time with your child as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, earlier on when I asked you about how do you how do you deal with the changes of your child, what it it and you know you, you mentioned around they're not your child anymore. They've they've grown up. They they're becoming their own person. And you went through the same. And so from that place, find uh, common ground, empathy, and compassion, um, and and be open to learning about their exploration and maybe try and explore with them. Um, I guess that works in, 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 in a household that has that sort of safety in the relationship. But where a household that comes from deeply orthodox cultural practices, religious practices, that may be a little bit more difficult to do because uh, your child rejecting the church, for instance, is not just them doing that. It, you may also, as a parent, experience that as a rejection of you because that may be a big part of your identity uh, mm. and, and, and your locus of stability. Uh, in that extent... Um, what are the tools to to not take it personally? But also, is 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 that the point where you would perhaps recommend, uh, you know, family therapy? 
Definitely. So, you know, again, you know, parents, this is where parents may feel that they have failed as a parent because their child has strayed away from um, their their common ground or their, their, their um, core center of, of the family. So let's say religion, for an example, as you mentioned it. You know, and I think, first of all, you know, just because your child is straying doesn't mean that they're going to stray forever. They, they may well come back into the church. Um, so allowing them a bit of that freedom to explore, but always reminding them of, um, you know, the, the, the central theme, which is, you know, we are law-abiding citizens. We, um, you know, we don't treat people disrespectfully, all of those kind of things, you know, natural values. But definitely if you're starting to clash with your child, um, and that's where family therapy can play a large role, just in terms of helping parents communicate better with their teenagers and, and vice versa, um, you know, because they are, they internalize a lot, young, young people today. They internalize a lot, they process a lot, they, they stress a lot um, about stuff, and they feel overwhelmed a lot. And so this can provide a safe space for them to speak up to their parents if they feel that they just can't speak to their parents or their parents don't understand. Clashes are, are natural, not just in parent-child relationship, but also in, in any other relationship form. Clashes are a natural part of it. Um, but people move on beyond that. Uh, somebody apologizes. Hopefully, uh, people get to talk it out. Um, and, 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 you know, growth comes from that oftentimes. Uh, but when a clash does happen, when, let's say, a big fight happened and I'm upset with my mm -hmm. daughter or I'm upset with my mom or whatever the case may be, what then is um, the the remedy for that? Uh, you know, how do you, as a parent, if you're not used to apologizing, how do you take that as an opportunity to start learning? Mm. You know, I think no one wakes up with that with with the intention to create conflict in that. But at the end of the day, we're all individuals and we all have differences, and we're never going to agree on everything 100%. So naturally, that's going to cause conflict. So I think as a parent, it's to realize that it's okay to disagree and not agree with everything your child is doing as they form their own identity. Um, you know, this is where you as a parent can reflect and go, how could I have handled the situation differently potentially? What can I learn about my child in the situation? And what can I learn about myself? And process that and then approach your child. And, you know, if it's difficult for you to apologize, and then you could, you know, say something like, you know, I, I, I never, it never meant... I never meant it to come out the way it did. What I was trying to say or what I was trying to express was this, or an outright apology. I'm sorry I never meant to shout at you and scream at you. Um, you know, if that doesn't work, um, you can always go to peace offerings as such, you know, your child's favorite meal, for example, or their yeah. favorite cake or <laughs> treat or whatever, just to break the ice. So to speak, to get conversation going again. And, um, you know, be open and honest with your child and going, you know, how would you like me to yeah. ask you questions next time? How would you like me to handle a situation like this next time? Get feedback from your children, what they want and how they need you to be there for them. Yeah. Paula, thank you so much for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. This has been a very helpful and fascinating conversation. Paula Quincy, a relationship coach. It's 11 o'clock. Time for your news.